All right, I'm going to read uh, Revelation 8. Luke did verses 1 through 5 last week. I'm doing 6 through 13 this week. This is entitled The Seven Trumpets. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. This is the word of the Lord. So grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, isn't that a wonderful Christmas Advent reading there? Isn't that just what everybody is expecting, right? Uh, lots of death, lots of destruction, you know, apocalyptic kind of dystopian movie scene here, isn't it? Um, so I don't know about you, but reading through these things in Revelation, I never feel real good about it. It always kind of bothers me a little bit. And I just want to give you a little perspective of where we're at. So there are three visions of this kind of end of the world stuff. We already did the one, and that would have been the seven seals, and that was in uh, chapters uh, five and six, or most just six. And then we jump to eight, which is where we're seeing the seven trumpets. This is the second of the three. We have, there's still more trumpets to come. And then we're going to do this again when we get to chapters 15 and 16. So it's like three different perspectives of the same kind of thing going on here. So we made it through the first one, and, and we survived, right? Now we're in the middle of the second one. And I was reminded of a good quote from uh, Winston Churchill. Uh, like when I'm, when I'm reading about these things or when we're experiencing these kind of things, it feels like, anybody felt like you're kind of going through hell? <laughs> and Winston Churchill says, well, if you, if you're going, if you find yourself in hell, keep going. So that's what we, we keep reading, right? We keep moving along. And so this idea that... Uh, these are really awful things. And all the things we read today, that I, you heard the third, the third, the third, uh, this is ac- echoed also in Ezekiel when God has judgment. It's like, I'm gonna cause a lot of harm here. It's a symbolic, figurative language. There'll still be a remnant. I'm not gonna totally destroy, but there's gonna be a lot of bad stuff happening. And we see all of these are what we call natural disasters. Um, these are things that are supernatural caused, but they are natural 
disasters like earthquakes and fires and all these awful, just awful things to, to read about. So I'm going to read the very last verse that Luke did last week. This is verse 5, right before our reading. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. This is a lot like, well, God's presence. Moses would go up to the Mount Sinai and it's (laughs) like that. Smoke, lightning, thunder, rumblings. God is present. And it is awesome and scary because these are really, I mean, I think that's why everybody's really happy that it was only Moses that went up there. The people are like, yeah, you go on up there, Moses, good luck. In fact, he was up there a little long one time, and they thought he died, and that's when the whole golden calf thing happened. He's about 40 days was his normal time up with God, and well, he spent a little too much time. They're like, yeah, pretty sure he's dead. He's not coming back. What do we do now? And then, of course, Aaron didn't help there. But So this is a presence of God kind of thing. And these four trumpets are all what we'd call natural disasters that are being caused supernaturally. And they're very hellish in nature. And uh, the bad thing about natural disasters, everybody suffers. No one's held harmless here. These disasters, we just had a hurricane, right, Ian? And did you know that most of the tornadoes in the world happen here in the Midwest, in Tornado Alley? Like, like 70 or 80% of the tornadoes happen here. We don't lack of natural disasters, of fires, of earthquakes, of all these things. Everybody suffers, Christians and unchristians alike. And, well... This reminds us a little bit of it could get worse. In fact, the last verse we read here is (laughs) scary to me. It says, Then I looked and heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Uh, That's like, hang on, you ain't seen nothing yet. And there's going to be a progression in the severity of these things. Now, this harkens back. Did anybody, when it, when it was talking about the blood and the locusts, and all, does that remind of anybody anything? That was when God rescued his people, right? And there is a strong parallel here. And the question all of us have, not, not, just, re, not, not just the reading and the text for today or the awful plagues that are going to hit Egypt that we're going to talk about now. The eternal question is, why do bad things happen? And why do bad things happen to good people? Why do we see in Scripture God, well, invoking these awful things? It is hard to deal with, isn't it? It's hard to wrestle with. Why? Why do these things happen? Well, we're going to answer that question this morning. So we're going to start by answering by looking back at what God did through Moses and Aaron in the Exodus. The first three plagues, blood, frogs, and lice. Ooh, that sounds unfun. (laughs) Turning the water into blood, frogs everywhere, lice everywhere. These first three, everybody experienced. Kind of like these first four that we're reading about, 
And when is this happening? It's happening now. We are in the middle of the tribulation now. We are in the end times now. Since Christ's first and second advents, this is the description of what's going on in the earth. And it's not going to get better. This progression of severity. But these first three, God says, all the Egyptians and all my people, everybody's suffering. But then something happens. The second cycle. Flies, cattle, and boils. God says something amazing here. And I feel bad that I didn't know this before. I hate it when... You have to admit that in front of everybody. Like, hey, I'm a pastor who's read the scriptures and this thing I didn't know I just learned this week. And you're all like, yeah, I knew that. Well, we'll find out if you did or not. Did you know that God didn't have these happen to his people? In in Exodus 8, 22 and 23. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am Lord in the midst of the earth. Then I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. So God starts treating his people differently. So here's a little good news. The whoa, 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 look out, it's coming. They don't affect Christians. They don't affect God's people. The natural disasters, yep, everybody. It's awful. But the next things are spiritual in nature. They are even more hellish in their descriptions, which Luke gets to preach on next week. If that doesn't break you back, I don't know what will. And then the last cycle, hail, locust, and darkness. You're like, what? How did God not have his people affected by hail, locusts, and darkness? Well, it says in verse 1023, they did, this is the last one, that it was amazing as the hail and the locusts were only where the other ones happened as well. Oh, and the hail came, and all of God's people knew to get indoors, <laughs> and they weren't affected by it. And the locusts, they said, only went where, like, the cattle had died, which would have been in the other land. And then the darkness, you're like, okay, how do they, how do they escape the darkness? Come on. It says right here in 1023, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light wherever they lived. Talk about light in the darkness. That is miraculous. And this is you. This is me. Where Christ is, there is light. Where there is the hope of the world, which is Jesus you are described as the light of the world. And this miraculous thing where God shows light, but there's this wrath or this curse of darkness everywhere else. Now, I am so glad I get to go back to Revelation 7. Did anybody notice we went from like 6 to 8? Anybody notice that? You're like, what happened to 7? Did anybody read 7 in between there? Or who was at Bible study last Wednesday? Luke did a wonderful job. I would strongly encourage you to go back and watch the recording of that because it talks about chapter 7. Chapter 7 is awesome. It's like very hopeful. It is a wonderful, it's another portrait of that. Well, the last, remember last time I preached, I got to talk about the throne room of heaven and worship and all that. It's here again. It's this wonderful text. I'm like, Luke, why'd you skip that? Because it's awesome. He's like, 
well, that's all right. I'm going to do it in Bible study. And I go, well, can I talk about it? He goes, well, of course. So I am thankful that I'm not just going to dwell on the four trumpets. I'm going to take you back to chapter 7. And this is so cool because, well, there's this tribulation. Are we in it? Are we part of it? Are we in the end times? Yes. John has this vision of how awful it is and is going to be. Then Jesus says, hey, 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 whoa, 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 look over here. Anybody been, anybody been to a sports bar lately? Or what I'm noticing is people do this in their houses now. You have one screen with one game on it and a, another screen with another game on it. This is, you know, I, I was, we were at somebody's house last night. I'm like, oh, there's a game there and there's a game there. That's, a, that's wonderful. It's almost like that. We're having this awful vision. This comes right after the, the first uh, end times description before the second one that we're in now. And he says, look over here. And it's a completely different vision. These visions are happening at the same time. These are both realities. Is this world dying and there's disasters and there's destruction? And yes, but there's also this wonderful thing called heaven <laughs> that this thing is also happening. And here's the description in one, 7, 1 through 3. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So this is a in the midst. And then they're like, okay, we gotta put, we're gonna do this until they're sealed, right? So I'm actually gonna steal one verse from Luke's text next week. This is chapter nine, verse four. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any, but only the people who have the seal of God on their foreheads. It's exactly the same thing here. For those who are sealed in Christ, God relents. He treats you differently. And he treats you differently for an eternity. Now, this is not a chronology. This didn't happen after the, the other cataclysm of the, of the other seals. This is essentially describing the entire New Testament era until today. This is a description of the glorified church. Remember this morning I prayed, especially this time of year, when we remember people have gone before us in the faith? They're there. <laughs> They're having this wonderful time worshiping the Lord. And this is also happening. This is a vision of, well, reality. And then this beautiful, I love this description, because right before this, I'm not gonna, it's got the, you ever heard of the 144,000? 12,000 from the 12 tribes, 144,000? There's not a literal 144,000 that are in heaven. It's the completeness. It is all of God's people from every tribe and every nation. It exactly says that right here in 7-9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. That sounds familiar back in chapter four, doesn't it? Saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders dressed, addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Which leads us to the theme, the blood of the Lamb. Does anybody remember the 10th plague that Egypt experienced? The death of the firstborn. Why, did, why were God's people not afflicted with that curse, the death of the firstborn? Because he said to take the blood of the lamb, put it on the doorpost, and the angel of death will pass over you. The blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb is sufficient for death to pass you over. All of you who are baptized and believe do not have to fear death. You are with the Lord now and forever. This world is gonna be awful. There will be sin, there will be destruction, there will be natural disasters, which is why you don't experience these things like the rest of the world, because you have a hope beyond this. Remember, if you find yourself in hell, <laughs> keep going, because we keep going until the last day when Christ returns, and the new heavens and the new earth are ushered in where there's no more of this. And it says right there in verse 15, therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he sits on the throne, will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more, the sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will give them, guide them into springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is a description of heaven. It is a wonderful portrait of what we all get to look forward to, and all who we have gone in the faith are experiencing right now. This threefold vision of the end times give us a picture of the reality of sin in the world, that there is the why. Why does God let bad things happen? The reason he makes things happen is the same reason he was doing it to save his people, that he continues to use these bad things, is to, number one, make you realize there is no hope in this world. Do not trust it. There is only hope through his son, Jesus Christ. It is to cause people to repent and believe in the one true God. I've heard recently of um, someone being martyred, and it's an awful situation. Why would God allow that to happen, that someone would be killed? Oh, that person's with the Lord now. <laughs> They aren't crying anymore. There's no sickness. There's no more death. They've wiped every tear from their eyes. They are 
fine. Why does God allow bad things to happen, even to good people? To cause us to repent and believe before the last day. That is the day of darkness for those who are not found in Christ Jesus. There will be no more time. This is the time where the church militant declares there is only one hope through Jesus Christ. There is only one baptism, one Lord, and one who is over all. This one faith we all have is the thing that will save us. I like the quote here from Brighton. We've been using the Brighton commentary a lot through this series. This is one quote. It says, the hearer reading these visions, the hearer is meant to receive each vision in such a way that he fearfully heeds its sevenfold message. He is moved to repentance and faithful hope in the reigning of Christ. Christ is ruling and reigning right now. Now, I've, we just got another vision of heaven, right? Anybody seen this book, Heaven? Has anybody read this? All right. A lot of people, especially I know some people who are, you know, terminally ill. They know they're going to die. And they're like, you know what? I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about heaven. And sometimes I'll give people this book to go, you know what? This does a nice scriptural way of walking through what heaven might be like. And this Randy Elkhorn does a nice job of realizing it's going to be a new heavens, new bodies, new, new earth, right? And what that might be like. It's very comforting. There is one uh, little error here, and I think this is a common error, and I gotta, I gotta say it. There's this really bad false teaching out there that on the last day when Christ returns or when you die, you're going to have to take an, you have to make an account for your life in front of God. What would you even say? <laughs> hey, God, I, uh, uh, I tried my best. I, I did some nice things. I went to church. I... No, <laughs> there's no negotiating on any of this. You're not going to be asked to give an account. What you're going to do is say, oh, there's Jesus. You're together. You're good. Come on in. There's no having to worry about giving an account. Believe me, I've talked to people on their deathbed who are still worried that they might have to do this. No, you're baptized. You believe. God's promises are for sure for you. Don't. Worry about it. Anything that good that comes out of you comes from God anyway. He's the one who gives you his good works. They don't come from you. So if anything good happened in your life, praise the Lord. It came from him, not from you. But this book has a great quote. Randy Alcorn quotes, For the Christian, this present life is the closest they will come to hell. So for you and me, this is, this, this is the closest to hell we're going to get. For the unbelievers, it is the closest they will come to heaven. What a desperate, different view of the reality that we're talking about here. You, this is as bad as it gets. Because when you bodily die or Christ returns, it's all good. Now they ask the same question to Jesus. They're like, Jesus, why, why do bad things happen to good people? He says this in Luke chapter 3. He says, and he answered them, do you not think that these Galileans who were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? They had bad things that happened to them. Pilate had done this stuff, and it was bad. 
It says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. These awful things God uses to make people realize, I have no hope in this world. I cannot save myself. My time is very short, and I better repent and believe in the one true God. So I am so happy we got to see a portrait of heaven again today in Scripture. I'm so happy to know that you, these next trumpets that Luke's going to preach on next week, they're not going to affect us. But we have an opportunity when we are bearing all these things in this world with the world, we have a hope beyond this world that we can point them to. We don't mourn like the others, do we? Uh, Someone in my family was just remembering the anniversary of the death of a loved one. And I put that, it's in 1 Thessalonians 4. We do not mourn like the world mourns. We don't deal with sin like the rest of the world. We have something to say and, and God has done something about these things. So I pray that that comfort that you should get, that peace that comes from knowing that everything's gonna be okay in the end, that you can point yourself to that, you can point others to that. And um, I know Luke says this at the end of his sermons, and I think it's most appropriate today, a slight tweak on this. And I do pray that may God would continue to guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus today and every day until you bodily die or Christ returns on the last day. Amen. you stand and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that there is a hope, a hope through your son Jesus who has overcome sin, death, and the devil. I pray as a body of believers we can continue to point each other to you and know that that gospel truth is is borne out, that you are ruling and reigning right now and when awful things happen, it's because you want us to repent and believe. Help us to turn away from sin to turn away from the trials and tribulations of this world and to seek you in your word. I thank you for in this Advent season as your church militant that we can proclaim your name until you come back on the last day and we get to become the church victorious. Amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give to you his peace. Have a wonderful week.